This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Ghanem. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we're back. Full swing here. And um, there is so much news going on right now. We have a great show today. We have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about, you know, the selectivity of the pro-Israel lobby here in the United States. We're gonna talk a little bit about how selective they are in who they choose to support. And specifically, we're gonna talk about RFK Jr. I mean, you, you can hear the sarcasm in my voice, but um, we'll, we'll get to that. We're also gonna talk about a dramatic increase in illegal colonial Israeli settlers who've been unleashed under this new extremist apartheid government of Israel to drive out and continue the ethnic cleansing of uh, Palestinians and from their villages in the West Bank. We're going to spend a fair amount of time on that. And this is kind of a crazy story, Jamal, but people are celebrating Golda Meir. I mean, this was someone, a uh, former prime minister of the apartheid state who was really has so much blood on her hand, but they're rewriting the history books. We're going to talk a little bit about that too. But before we get that, uh, we're going to watch a really great interview that you did with uh, the editor of Tikkun Olam, the blog, Richard Silverstein, who's going to talk about the recent visit of President uh, Herzog and his visit to uh, the U.S. and his uh, his message of peace to the Joint House of Congress and trying to rush uh, to pass a resolution that I mean, why do you have to pass a resolution? But they tried to pass a resolution about Israel not being a racist state, it's so crazy. But anyways. So rule, rule of thumb, just if you are a racist state or an apartheid state, what do you do? You pass a resolution uh, to say that you are not a racist state, an apartheid state. This is like asking a criminal to say, you know, are you a criminal? Are you a drug dealer? You know, of course they're going to no. say no. <laughs> no, they're going to say, let's pass a resolution saying I'm not a drug dealer or criminal. I mean, if you're not, you don't need to pass a resolution. Anyways, we're going to talk about that. Anyway, let's watch uh, Richard Silverstein. Lately, politicians are parading their Zionist allegiance with urgency. Netanyahu's severe right government and dismantling of Israel's judicial system, along with ongoing oceans of angry protesters, does not showcase the shared democratic values. President Biden likes to invoke in his allegiance to the Zionist state. With Israel in dire need of damage control, a more subdued president, Isaac Herzog, flew in to play good cop, meeting with Biden, then addressing a joint session of Congress on July 19. When Pramila J. Paul, chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, called Israel a racist state, and nine members of Congress pledged to boycott Herzog's speech, the GOP doubled down and rushed a resolution through the House declaring the state of Israel is not a racist or apartheid state. Meanwhile, in a rite of political passage, Robert Kennedy Jr. is being mentored by Rabbi Shmuley, the self-proclaimed America's rabbi. He supports controversial figures at odds with the American Jewish community in exchange for their supporting Israel. Kennedy's talking points are now rife with vicious lies about Palestinians and praise for Israel. Joining us to discuss this and more is Richard Silverstein. He authors the Tukun Olam blog, 
which is devoted to exposing the human rights abuses committed by the Israeli national security state. His work has appeared in Haaretz, The Forward, The Seattle Times, The Los Angeles Times, and other publications. Welcome back to Arab Talk, Richard. Thank you for having me, Jamal. I appreciate it. Biden is temporarily snubbing Netanyahu, so Herzog flew into Washington for sorely needed damage control for Israel. Herzog was expected to close the widening rift between governments, resulting from all the violent imagery in Israel. What was the expectation, and do you think he met it? Well, I think that Biden's expectation was to show that he uh, he he disapproved of Netanyahu because um, he has not invited Netanyahu to the White House, which is a, a break with uh, White House and, and presidential tradition, uh, which uh, calls for an Israeli prime minister to be invited almost uh, immediately after a president takes office. Um, I think that uh, the the expectation would be to give Herzog uh, the uh, the good sealing the good the good housekeeping seal seal of approval uh, from the U.S. government because Herzog has the reputation of being a moderate in scare quotes and uh, someone who opposes Netanyahu opposes his judicial coup and who has a reputation of being a liberal Zionist. However, uh, the speech that Herzog gave to Congress presented Israel um, as a lie. Uh, it, it presented an Israel that is courageous, that is liberal, that is humane, and um, tried to suggest that um, the Netanyahu government doesn't really represent the true Israel. And as we know, uh, that is false. And Herzog has been trying to who have broker a compromise between the opposition sort of center-right uh, opposition and uh, the Likud uh, junta, and uh, he's failed at that. So, um, and, and the idea that uh, he would uh, he would say that, or, or the Congress would say that Israel is not an apartheid state is ludicrous because uh, three internationally uh, distinguished human rights groups have written reports saying that it's not only an apartheid state, but from the river to the sea, which includes all of the West Bank and Gaza. Talk about uh, Jepal, the chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, calling Israel a racist state, and the scramble to pass a resolution before Herzog arrived. Well, Pramila Jayapal is a member of Congress who actually represents my district here in Seattle. And as I said, she's uh, an Indian um, Indian American, and she is known for being progressive. Um, it's very dangerous, though, for anyone, including progressives, to take a stance that is too critical of Israel. And at a Netroots Nation conference in Chicago, which was uh, protested by pro-Palestinian uh, 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 activists, she uh, tried to mollify them by saying to the crowd that uh, Israel was a racist state. Um, in that crowd, uh, that was something that was appropriate because it um, the crowd, the pro-Palestinian activists, by the way, who many of whom are Jewish and some are Israeli, um, uh, did uh, address their concerns. But um, there was, of course, a backlash in Congress. And not just from the GOP, by the way, from also many Democrats 
demanded that uh, she retract that statement. Uh, it's interesting to know that in response, she didn't retract the statement. She, although she did say that um, that uh, she didn't mean to say that the Israeli state was racist, but the Israeli government was racist. And that's a distinction without a difference, since the Israeli government represents the state and is, for all intents and purposes, the state. So um, she, uh, you know, she made a distinction, as I said, without a difference in doing that. Um, and it did seem to uh, tamp down the, the furor over what she did. And as I mentioned, uh, the subsequent vote saying that uh, Israel was not a, uh, an apartheid state. It uh, just flies in the face of the reality in Israel, the reality for Palestinians on the West Bank and anyone with eyes in their head who is watching the news and seeing the images come out of the, the fires burning in Palestinian villages set by uh, Israeli uh, extremist settlers um, confirms that Israel is even worse than a, a racist state, a uh, state that's engaged, I would say, in genocide, if not worse. Well, if you're not That's an apartheid, uh, if you're not an apartheid state or a racist state, do you need a resolution to prove it? Isn't it obvious? Well, the reason why the resolution was pr promoted was that the uh, members of Congress needed to mollify the Israel lobby. Uh, the Israel lobby would um, be outraged by uh, statements like Jaya Pauls, and probably she has political ambitions to. Uh, run for a U.S. Senate seat as soon as one is open in Washington. So she has to be concerned about uh, the pro-Israel donors who she probably would need to run a race like that. So um, there is a huge backlash uh, from the Israel lobby. And by the way, in the last uh, Democratic election cycle, she uh, the, the lobby spent $30 million trying to defeat Democratic uh, candidates in primaries, not the general election, but in primaries. And uh, all of that money came from right-wing pro-Israel Republican billionaires. So um, we have this strange uh, political theater going on where um, the Republicans are intervening in Democratic primaries to uh, defeat progressive uh, Democratic candidates. I mean, so many uh, politicians want to get kudos for supporting Israel. For, uh, for example, we have Nikki Haley, uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, Mike Pence's uh, Christians United for Israel. Who are they pitching to? Well, they're pitching to uh, donors in the Israel lobby, uh, as I mentioned, who they need, uh, even though they're Republicans, they need uh, these uh, right-wing pro-Israel donors as well. And they are largely billionaire uh, Wall Street hedge fund managers and uh, and and the like, and they put their money where their mouth and where their political sympathies lie, um, supporting both Democrats and Republicans, but only Democrats who toe the line of the Israel lobby, who um, who support Israelis' policies uh, right down the line, and who are never ever willing to criticize anything by Israel uh, that Israel does. Meanwhile, some actual Jewish Israel supporters are more critical of uh, of Israel than these uh, Christian cheerleaders in, in many cases. For example, uh, circling back to J.R. Paul, 
pro-Israel journalist David uh, Rothkopf states the states the shame that so few in Congress are willing to call Israel the racist state it is. Uh, can you elaborate on this? Well, I think what's interesting about David Rothkopf is that he comes out of a pro-Israel a tradition and pro-Israel thinking. Uh, he was the managing director of Kissinger and Associates, and we know about Kissinger's uh, political leanings. And uh, he's rebelled against that. And for the last uh, few years, he's been writing devastating attacks on uh, the Israeli state. And uh, he called for the uh, U.S. government to stop funding Israel, period, to stop the $38 billion 10-year deal that Obama signed, uh, giving uh, Israel three point, nearly $4 billion a year to buy U.S. military hardware. And it's quite radical for anyone uh, on the Washington sort of uh, circuit scene to, uh, to call for an end to U.S. Uh, military aid. And by the way, our, our leading national progressive Democrat, Bernie Sanders, doesn't even go that far. He calls for uh, reducing U.S. military aid and sort of punishing Israel as long as it violates international law. Or, con- or conditioning it to, to meet but certain criteria. Conditioning it to U.S., uh, to Israel, uh, adhering to human rights uh, provisions and the Leahy law, which uh, uh, calls on the U.S. government to stop aid to any country that's deemed to be authoritarian. So, um, uh, not and not just uh, Rothko, by the way, uh, two former U.S. ambassadors to Israel, uh, Kurtzer and uh, um, and and uh, the, uh, one other whose name I'm, I'm losing in my mind down here. But anyway, they, they're both former APAC uh, affiliated think tank uh, uh, think tank analysts, and they too called for ending U.S. military aid. To Israel, so I think that there is a sea change going on, especially among Democrats. By the way, a Gallup poll found for the first time that Democrats, more Democrats, support Palestine than Israel, and this too is it marks a major change, and it's influenced by the increasing radical right-wing racist nature of the Israeli government and its policies. So as Israel becomes more and more right-wing. The, uh, the approach of Americans becomes more and more left-wing. So um, I think that's an important uh, process to, uh, to note. Uh, on the same theme of joking, uh, joking to get uh, Israel Zionist uh, creds, then you have uh, Robert uh, Kennedy Jr. running for president. He's pivoted 180 degrees from the beginning of his campaign when he supported Roger Waters then he did some crazy free associating racist COVID conspiracy rambling. Then you have Rabbi Shmuley, who has taken him in hand. Uh, what is America's so-called rabbi modus operandi? Well, Rabbi Shmuley sort of latches on to various celebrities who uh, he considers himself a celebrity rabbi. He wrote a book called Kosher Sex. Um, he's an Orthodox rabbi who was formerly affiliated with Haban, a right-wing pro-Israel uh, religious uh, movement, and he was uh, booted out of Chabad because he uh, he he he, he uh, went in a different direction uh, in terms of his theological views. 
and uh, his endorsement, he endorses uh, sort of any celebrity who is pro-Israel or he can put on a pro-Israel platform. Uh, in the past, he's awarded a human rights award to Sean Penn. Uh, the, and the, the, the award was given by Sheldon Adelson, <laughs> which is uh, ironic. You have, uh, he's deceased now, Sheldon Adelson, but he used to fund uh, not just the Republican presidential candidates, but uh, he at once said that uh, Palestine doesn't exist. And he called for bombing uh, Iran, and uh, Sean Penn was willing to go on a, uh, to an event that truly uh, uh, organized and giving him a human rights uh, award. So let's uh, now switch to Robert F. Kennedy Jr., um, who uh, is what I would call a flat earther, someone who denies science, denies COVID uh, vaccines. He's always been anti-vax in general. Uh, but for COVID in particular, and he said during that interview that uh, you mentioned that uh, COVID was designed specifically by China to avoid harming Chinese or, or Asian uh, individuals and Jews. Um, Ashkenazi Jews, he said. Ashkenazi Jews, right. <laughs> because, of course, Ashkenazi Jews are the vast majority of Jews in America. Um, so uh, it, it it clearly had uh, anti-Semitic dog will dog whistle overtones, and in terms of Israel, Kennedy has uh, really endorsed n- not just a right-wing view of, of Israeli politics, but I would say sort of uh, on the far extreme of, of right-wing views, even more extreme than mo- many Republicans are, and uh, so he accepted the uh, this interview with Shmuley because he desperately wants to show that he is pro-Israel and that he can get funding from uh, pro-Israel donors. I mean, he's going pro-Israel more than extremist uh, Zionist uh, who would go pro-Israel. I mean, he's making up stuff like saying Israel does not target Palestinian civilians. They only target military, you know, and doesn't mention, for example, the death of... Uh, American journalist Shirina Boatley and and the children that get 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 killed uh, in Gaza and just the other day, sixteen year old child was was shot. So he's just like working extra hard uh, to prove something. That's why I'm I'm saying there's more to it than just like befriending Rabbi Shmuley. Well, I think each one has something that they uh, need to gain from uh, being together. Uh, Shmuley uh, wants to continue this uh, notion that he, uh, you know, he likes controversy. He likes to sort of push the edge of the envelope. Um, and if he was it, wasn't it a... just just quickly now? I just a thought came in my mind. Wasn't Shmuley involved in trying to exonerate Michael Jackson from being a, a pedophile at one point? Well, sure, yeah. I mean, that's what I meant by embracing celebrities. So any celebrity he can embrace. Um, he will sort of whitewash whatever crimes they might commit or whatever outrages they might uh, say, like Kennedy. And uh, Kennedy himself needs the imprimatur of someone like Rabbi Shmuley, uh, because Rabbi Shmuley has access to pro-Israel donors like Sheldon Adelson. Um, so they're both sort of helping each other and allowing each other to exploit the, the op- their uh, opposite number and um, they both get something uh, that they need from it. So it's a transaction, really, 
rather than any kind of real sort of affinity uh, of, of values, I would say. Do you think that one way or another to be a viable uh, political candidate in the U.S., you must be vetted by your allegiance to Israel? I think that's true. Uh, I think that all we've seen all presidential candidates, especially Democrats, have to pledge their allegiance to Israel. They go on uh, junkets to Israel that are paid for by uh, APAC and uh, affiliate groups uh, affiliated with APAC. Um, and uh, the the, uh, the leading Democrat in the House of Representatives basically said that he aimed to um, to to sort of strip the progressive caucus uh, of any power. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries I'm talking about, who is an African-American from uh, serving in Brooklyn. In well, Brooklyn. So he, by the way, just recently said that Jerusalem is a borough of New York City. That's right. He did. He <laughs> did. Uh, but of course, he represents a Jewish uh, district, largely Jewish district in, in Brooklyn. Um, so he himself needs to toe the line. And uh even progressives like uh, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, uh, one of the leading progressive members of Congress, she voted against a $500 million military appropriation for Israel. Uh, and then she had to backpedal and uh, she voted in favor of the appropriation with tears and literally tears in her eyes, uh, trying to explain how a progressive could support military aid to Israel. So um, even someone like her who is a shining light for progressive uh, Democrats like uh, like us. Uh, I don't want to speak for you, but uh, progressive Democrat like me. Um, so uh, even they have to toe the line. Um, and these are the most progressive, most left-wing um, uh, members of Congress. Well, you could call me a progressive Democrat. There is no shame in that. <laughs> uh, so do you think that it will be a continued fallout uh, from Netanyahu's latest maneuvers, or will uh, our so-called shared democratic values just be replaced by pressure from lobbies and, and more money? Well, I think that there is a huge amount of pressure on Biden to do more, to be more outspoken. Uh, he has been uh, feeble, really, in his expressions of concern, in quotes, for what's going on in Israel. He has said that he's called and spoken to Netanyahu and told him to stop with the judicial overhaul. Uh, but he said nothing that was really serious. And this is the, one of the criticisms of David Rothkopf. He says that the U.S. needs to be more muscular, more aggressive, more assertive, and telling Israel that it must stop what it's doing and that there will be repercussions if it doesn't do so. And he's not been willing to do that. He's only been willing to do symbolic acts like inviting Herzog to uh, to speak to a joint session of Congress and denying uh, maybe this coveted visit to the White House. And by the way, and Netanyahu announced after a phone conversation with Biden that he had been invited to the White House, and Biden and the State Department had to say, well, yes, he's been invited, but it won't be until the end of the year, and it won't be at the White House, they'll be at the United Nations. So he's really trying to, Biden is trying to nibble around the edges rather than getting right at the heart of the issue. And you you just can't do that anymore. It doesn't satisfy anyone in America, and especially those Democrats who are now pro-Palestine. Um, it doesn't satisfy anyone. So I think that in Congress and in the Senate, there is sort of a beginning of being a change in transformation uh, of, of Democratic uh, senators and Congress members. 
um, towards being more muscular, more uh, uh, outspoken, uh, but it hasn't yet uh, come up to the top of uh, presidential races and Democrats who are who are running for president. You monitor uh, the Hebrew press, and I'm talking about the Hebrew press, Israeli press, but actually the one that's written in Hebrew, uh, not just like the ones uh, that's published in English, like Haaretz in English and so forth. Is there a difference in the, in the messaging that what people read here or, or kind of uh, what politicians say, like Benjamin Netanyahu when he comes on American TV, which, by the way, he hasn't been granted too many interviews in on, on Israeli TV, but yet here the, he comes here and he's unchallenged, can speak for uh, 15, 20 minutes. And then the difference in that, what he says when he, was, his, he gets interviewed in Hebrew. Well, uh, there there is a difference, a marked difference, uh, because Netanyahu uh, is in a far right wing coalition. It's not just Likud; um, they're the moderates in the, in the coalition government right now. You have Bezalel Smotrich, you have Itamar Ben Gvir. These are former uh, Jewish terrorists uh, who attacked and, and uh, attacked Palestinians for decades, really. And made their uh, sort of career out of being uh, militant, uh, homicidal uh, terrorists uh, against Palestinians. So Netanyahu has to curry favor with that far right coalition. And he knows that when he goes on uh, U.S. Uh, TV and does those uh, media uh, interviews that you're talking about, he has to present a more moderate approach. And so he tells an American audience that this is really a democratic reform because the voice of the Knesset is the only legitimate democratic voice in Israel. And uh, he, he, he doesn't talk about uh, wanting to neuter the Supreme Court and to, to eliminate checks and balances uh, by the judicial branch and by the, uh, the attorney general who's an independent figure right now in, in uh, the Israeli government. Uh, he doesn't talk about that because he knows that that will not uh, be uh, uh, our audience will not be receptive. And he refuses to do most interviews with Israeli media uh, because he knows that it will be taken uh, held to account by Israeli journalists that they will be sharper in their criticism and bring up contradictions in uh, what he is saying. And the Israeli media protests this loudly that it, he refuses to be held to account uh, by, by Israeli media. And to a large extent, the U.S., interviewers who are interviewing him don't really know what's going on in Israel, don't really understand the political um, fire that's really burning in Israel when you have hundreds of thousands of protesters uh, calling for a, a return of democracy, um, mostly Israeli Jewish protesters. Um, but, uh, you know, th these interviewers really can be snowed under by this sort of moderate uh, facade that uh, Netanyahu puts up when he's talking to uh, to media sources here. So, what is his end game, or at least this government's end game, aside from eliminating this whole judicial uh, system there? Uh, and I'm talking about vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Palestinians, because uh, talks about complete annexation is uh, is the plan. I mean, is this what is being discussed in? at least in the conservative Israeli media where uh, most of the Kahanists uh, 
use it as a pulpit? Well, yes, annexation, I think, is really almost the first step. Uh, they want to essentially eliminate Palestinians. Um, they want to, it, it's what uh, some people have called creeping annexation or creeping apartheid, uh, where they eventually want to um, expel Palestinians. Uh, they won't be able to expel Israeli Palestinians who are citizens of Israel, um, uh, but they will uh, be able to expel Palestinians from the West Bank and Gaza if they choose to do that. Um, they don't talk about the uh, what they call population transfer, which is a euphemism for expulsion, but they don't talk about that because they know that that would be um, frowned on uh, and opposed in the international community. Um, but that's one of the things they want to do, and uh, part of this process is to set the settlers loose on the Palestinian towns and villages that uh, are uh, ab- adjacent to the settlements. And that's why the village of Huara was uh, assaulted and a, a program that settlers uh, did there and in which they burned uh, vehicles and they uh, even burned houses in which Palestinians were inside the houses. They tried to burn them down. Uh, at least one person was murdered in that. And um, there was another program that happened a few days ago in which uh, settlers rampaged through it. Uh, I think the village was called Burqa. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also murdered a Palestinian in that incident. And the guns that the settlers were using were f- provided by the military, and the military uh, protected the settlers on on a rampage. And then the, uh, the hypocrisy of it is that the, the IDF chief of staff goes on uh, media and says uh, uh, that this was uh, an excess that the military should have stopped it and that it will stop it in the future. But the reality is that um, they not only don't stop it, but they protect the settlers. And they also attack Palestinians who are trying to resist, uh, show any form of resistance. And then Israelis are shocked when Palestinians who are engaging in armed resistance um, um, attack Israeli settlers. And they feign shock when this happens and they call them terrorists. Oh, when they believe that the idea from the settlers are, are kosher uh, citizens, good citizens of the state of Israel. So it's really a pure, unadulterated hypocrisy. And this really informs the Israeli government and its policies and what it intends for uh, Palestinians on the West Bank and Gaza. Richard Silverstein, uh, thank you again for coming on Arab Talk and hope to, hope to talk to you uh, soon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jamal. That's the voice in the face of Richard Silverstein. He's the editor of the blog of Tikkun Olam, talking about um, this crazy visit with uh, President Herzog of the apartheid Israeli state. You know, as our listeners and viewers know, there was this big push by the Progressive Democratic uh, Caucus to boycott that because Israel is, in fact, a racist apartheid state. And the Democrats and the Republicans, you know, shaking and quaking in their boots, you know, not wanting to uh, cross the apartheid state and its leadership. So they tried to pass that resolution that Israel is not a racist state. But I think uh, Richard Silverstein makes a lot of interesting points, you know, from the from the perspective of the progressive Jewish uh, point of view. Yeah, I mean, they're trying all different uh, gimmicks to say, well, the first gimmick, of course, is the good cop, bad cop. 
because now they re- they realize their darling Benjamin Netanyahu is persona non grata by the administration to begin with, and of right. course by the international community. So what they what did they do this time? They bring the president, who who really you know with all fairness ha, 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 he has no political uh, authority weight, or power authority no, or power there, but still he represents an apartheid state, and he he is of course now. The, the good cop. So let's, let's now, we're going to shun the bad cop, Benjamin Netanyahu, until later on, until everybody forgets about him, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, there are rumors that he was invited. One time here he was invited for later and was not invited. But anyway, eventually I'm sure he'll surface, uh, re- resurface back in the United States. Anyway, so they bring the, the so-called good cop, uh, Herzog, President Herzog, to whitewash uh, the basically the Israeli apartheid and Israeli crimes and 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 regurgitate the same talking points. Now you know Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. We're going through some democratic transition. We've extended our hands to the Palestinians, but they don't want peace. We, we want to protect ourselves against terror. The, you know the whole. You know, uh, enchilada, as they say, of lies. Well, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. The and, same, and, but the same talking points for decades. This is the not... same. The same talking points, and sadly, Israel surrogate in in Congress, they line up as usual to to pay homage. Now, remember, uh, the last time Benjamin Netanyahu addressed a joint session of Congress, it was a slap in the face of President Obama. He circumvented the president and got invited by uh, the the Congress at the same. Imagine, imagine, imagine. This is the greatest country, as at least this is how Americans look at it in the world. That you have a leader of a a financial aid recipient country, a country that actually relies on on U.S. support, both militarily, politically, and financially, circumvent the administration, the president, the State Department, and and goes and and addresses the joint session of Congress. This is this this was uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's last gimmick. They couldn't do it with him this time, so they brought Herzog. This is this is I'm I'm oversimplifying the story. Jesse. No, it's 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 actually not too much of an o- oversimplification, but I I think it's important to at least put out on the table that there are some shifts. You had a group of progressive Democrats who at least called out and decided to boycott and call out the apartheid Israeli state for what it is, a racist apartheid state. They got a lot of press. Yes, uh, Congresswoman Jayapal had to walk back that comment a little get a little bit, but the topic of the apartheid state and Israel being a racist state and not a democratic state got a lot of attention in the media. So that part is good. And I think, you know, this happened a few weeks ago, but there was an op-ed in the New York Times saying by Nick Kristoff, you know, um, who basically said, hey, maybe we need to reevaluate. He said it in the kind of m- most bland terms possible. Maybe, maybe we should re- reevaluate our, our aid to this uh, apartheid state, not because it's a racist state, not because it's an apartheid state, but because they're flourishing, because they're doing so well. I think that's the, one of the few times that a mainstream columnist in the New York Times was able to call out and suggest 
that uh, maybe economic aid needs to be pulled back from the Well, you also state. have Senator uh, Bernie Sanders who said we should condition uh, the military aid to Israel. And you have other uh, Congress people uh, uh, who are saying the same. Yeah, there is definitely a shift, not a large shift. Sadly, I still see uh, a bipartisan Congress. Uh, they can fight against each other, uh, almost want to kill each other over the elections in this country, over student loans, over the economy, over uh, anything. But they line up, you know, kowtowing to, to APAC, basically. Exactly, to APAC, to basically listen, not only to listen to Herzog's lies uh, and, and uh, misinformation, but also to pass a resolution, <laughs> you know, attesting, you know, that they actually want to basically rewrite history and nullify or, or or think they can exercise veto power. You know, the United States can exercise veto power at the United Nations, but they want to have this global veto power saying, you know what? We don't believe uh, the largest uh, human rights organization in the world, like Human Rights Watch. We're not going to believe Amnesty International. We're not going to believe Israel's own human rights organization uh, who all concur that Israel is an apartheid state because we're going to say Israel is not a racist or an apartheid state. I mean, this is this is kind of the, the farce, Jess. Yeah, it is a farce. And, and remember, we have to understand that uh, when thugs have their talking points, when they become particularly aggressive and the thug- thuggishness of APAC and the pro-Israel lobby, Jamal, they have their backs against the wall because of all the profound negative press that has been coming out. And let's not, I mean, it's not just that uh, the the patina or the farce or the illusion of Israel as a democratic state is falling apart. Let's also not forget the fact that since our last show, how many Palestinians have been murdered by settlers, uh, colonial illegal settlers, and by the Israeli military? I mean, every day, children, men and women are being killed, shot. Their land is being torched. They're being driven out from their indigenous homes and communities. So, let you know, the fact that they have to pass the resolution is a reaction to the world condemnation. Now, it's not moving fast enough for you or I or for a lot of people in the in the social justice community. But the fact that they have to pass this resolution means, I believe, that the heat and the reality of the illusion of Israel is starting to uh, break through. Well, moving on to the next topic, when we are on this topic, uh, let's talk about Bobby and the Israel lobby. And, Do we have to? <laughs> and I have to say this title, uh, I'm borrowing it from Max Blumenthal. Uh, you know, we're talking here about uh, Robert uh, F. Kennedy Jr., who began just like defining himself as, you know, he's for peace and freedom. Uh, he's the strongest. He's against. He was denouncing neocons and war ma- mongers. But then, you know, at the same time, he's probably now, uh, I wouldn't say the most, but he's one of the most uh, zealous is defending uh, Israel's military and and justifying uh, the occupation of, of Palestinian land, uh, even denying that uh, that actually Palestinian land is... Uh, uh, is that 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 there is an that there is an, an occupation? So uh, you know this whole thing. 
it doesn't make sense just because if if you, sure if you look Jamal. if you look at everything makes like th- that he says, of course, on one hand you'll say, you know, maybe he's like is uh, a cook. You know, I mean that's what I heard this description. He goes on talking about the origins of COVID nineteen, uh, saying that there is an argument that the virus did not uh, affect uh, Ashkenazi Jews. And and people of of Chinese descent uh, and 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 as strongly as Caucasians and black people. I mean, you know, he starts making up stuff as he as he goes on, uh, defying science and so forth. And then uh, I think the story began when he was a big supporter of Roger Waters, and then he turned against him, and now. He we see him resurfacing in the news when it comes now to Palestine and Israel, held. By the hand, by uh, Rabbi Shmuley. Rabbi he, Shmuley, right? Sell, that's right. He 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 calls himself America's Rabbi Shmuley Botich. <laughs> you know, that's what he calls him. It's like a former reality show rabbi. Basically, he was recruited by your uh, uh, late uh, Sheldon Adelson to advance the cause of Greater Israel within the United States. Uh, it's this is when crazy, Adelson, Adelson was the top funder of Trump 2016 and 2020 campaigns. Of course, uh, Sheldon Adelson has passed. And so Shmuley likes to latch himself to something new, uh, especially a celebrity. And actually, uh, uh, um, you know, we talked about that uh, earlier in the show with Silverstein. So... <sighs> I was listening again to his uh, interview, and then at at some point, that's why I said sometimes he just sounds like he's out of it. You know, he's like referring to when he was like, you know, went into a 20-minute diet trap, uh, anti-Palestinian venom, uh, Israeli propaganda. He was was referring to hijabs as habibs, and they didn't know how to pronounce <laughs> Chechnya. You know, I'm serious. Like, it's just like mumbling here and there. And then all of a sudden he turned against uh, Iran and its nuclear weapons without without mentioning that, of course, his beloved country, Israel, possesses a nuclear arsenal. He didn't, he didn't talk about that. Well, Jamal. And, and he was referring, listen, when he, talk, when he was kind of asked about what happened in Jenin? This is this is at the time when Israel was attacking Jenin by land and by air, basically by by helicopters and jets and so forth. And he was saying that Jenin basically is a bomb factory, and that's why he was justifying the invasion. And that virtually one hundred percent of the people there are supporting terrorism. And I'm quoting here. Well, he sounds very anti-war and very progressive, I guess, right? No, I mean, it's a, it's a big joke, Jamal. We, we know that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is, he's the only one that's kind of declared himself to be a Democrat, to run against Joe Biden. He started out, as you said, as anti-war, anti-neocon, peace. And I guess it just took one crazy, really anti-Semitic comment for the pro-Israel kind of, um, you know, forces to come out and do what they always do, Jamal. I mean, it's not breaking breaking news, right? They're giving him a lot of money. They're supporting him right now. And he has to toe the line. 
And the line that he's towing is an Islamophobic, hateful, anti-Arab, anti-Palestinian uh, rhetoric, which, and I don't know if you, you read this part of it. Do you know who his biggest uh, donors are right now? His biggest donors? Yeah. Besides, besides APAC? Be, besides uh, Shmoli and APAC are Republicans. I'm he's sure not, that, yeah. Yeah, listen, he's not getting donations from Democrats. He's getting donations from right-wing MAGA types because he he is talking the MAGA language. I mean, it's it's kind of the MAGA language, isn't it, well, in also some ways? The, Well, aside from this, it's to the advantage of the Republicans if he can split the party and take away the exactly. votes from, from President Biden, which is trying to do that. And of course, the Democrats are not going to support him. And he's getting, yeah, his, uh, his biggest donors and maybe his audience that he's addressing is the, the Republican Party. But like I said, he says things like this, and you know that those are talking points that were handed Schmolitz. to him, uh, were handed to him to 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 say. But then he goes on, as, and I gave cited earlier some examples, like he starts free associating, and doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. And I'm just want to add to this: he starts talking about like, oh, through you know, you have to listen to Israel. The Palestinians never wanted to have peace, and they're the ones who launched war in 1967, 1948, <laughs> and blah, 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 all these things. And then he said, look what this, uh, Syria got the Golan Heights, and Egypt got Sinai after they recognized Israel's right to exist. I'm not making this up, right? He said so Syria crazy. got the Golan Heights, of course. Uh, it's still Israel, Israel annexed the Golan Heights during the, the Trump uh, administration. And the Sinai Pen Peninsula did not return to Egypt uh, out of the goodness uh, of, of the Israeli military uh, or government. Uh, they basically went into a war and, and, and Egypt liberated its territory from Israel's occupation through a surprise military campaign in 1973. So that tells me when I listen to him how uneducated about the topic and how how much does he stray? He doesn't have because at some point, I think, uh, I mean, who's his handlers? Who are his handlers? He he doesn't have a lot of handlers, Jamal. You know what the, my feeling is? Let him talk. And and so when he talks, aside just from the talking talk. points, he just makes up stuff. And there is no accountability. Nobody stops him and says, hey, what, what, what are you talking about? Israel, Israel occupies the Golan Heights. Why are you making this nonsense uh, up? But anyway, I think he is a uh, he's a disaster. I think he's a disaster to the uh, Democratic Party, frankly. I mean, besides uh, I, everything I, else, I, I think I, he's I'm a disaster. Sure. I, I mean, he's a disaster. I'm just not sure it's going to really affect the election or the Democratic Party, to be honest. Well, uh, there is a similar scenario like this because he gets a lot of mileage out of the Kennedy name. And and this is yeah. what happened to Jimmy Carter in the primaries. No, no, that all, that's all that, right. But but at the same time, well, we'll with save Teddy, this for with Teddy yeah. Kennedy. But anyway, yeah, yeah, we'll save it for another show. But uh, I don't think he poses a bigger threat to Democrats as some people think. He may pose a bigger threat to Trump than he does to Joe Biden. But that's another story. Anyway, but, you have to be crazy to vote for this guy. And uh, well, 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 how many people <laughs> voted for Donald Trump? <laughs> yeah, you're right. So <laughs> I stand, I stand corrected. <laughs> so, so moving on to the next story, just we started mentioning about this, uh, you know, 
exaggerated. No, it's not an exaggerated. It's a really concentrated attack. Concentrated on, on attack. Palestinian villagers and shepherds. And uh, orchestrated the, too, and orchestrated and planned to take on more, more, more of their territory, and burning uh, just, just uh, because you talk about numbers. The United Nations, uh, actually, this was from last Friday, warned of a dramatic rise in West Bank settler attacks on Palestinian people and property, with nearly six hundred such incidents reg- registered so far this year. So this year, this is according to the uh, UN humanitarian agency. Ocha. They said that it had recorded 591 settler-related incidents in the territory in the first six months of 2023, resulting in Palestinian casualties, property damage, or both. So that's uh, just that's an average of 99 incidents every month and a 39% increase compared with, uh, with the monthly average of the whole of 2022, which was at the time 71 <sighs> Incidents and these are the ones that are documented and recorded. Right. So there right. are even the number is much higher, you know, because not every time it gets documented and and recorded. And this is happening with the encouragement of the fascist uh, Israeli government, the 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 Ben Gavirs, the Smotrich, and their ilk, basically rewarding these settler terrorists to, uh, you know. Attack and invade but, uh, but, Palestinian land yeah, but and property. At, exactly, Jamal. I mean, and and they have said many times, especially after the uh, invasion and uh, destruction of Janine, that Ben Gavir, Smotrich, Netanyahu said it was kind of a crazy statement. We're go- we're going to teach the you know they're you know we're mowing the grass. They they say that 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 again that kind of awful kind of uh, grotesque. Uh, inhumane comment about mowing the grass in Palestine against Palestinians, which basically means ethnically cleansing them, and they have been given free free range. While we remember that uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has given Ben Gavir and Smotrich added powers, especially with their new um, paramilitary forces, to support the illegal colonial settlers and their reign of terror against Palestinian civilians. It's really every day, Jamal. Palestinians are being attacked, killed, and their lands are being, uh, you know, either burned or uh, attempted to confiscate it. And let's not forget, Jamal, the illegal colonial settlements are expanding at a rapid rate. Mali Adumin, I think, is gonna, which is this huge grotesque settlement around Jerusalem, is gonna expand even more, Jamal. So, this is a really, really, really painful, difficult, and um, you know, uh, I mean, I'm putting it mildly, it's just a frightening time right now in Palestine, given that the settlers are running amok now. But bear with me for a minute, Jamal. Let's do a split screen. On the one hand. This is what the media is portraying in the United States. The brave Israeli demonstrators confronting Benjamin Netanyahu, right? It's disgusting right. to see that. And everybody's coming out and saying, oh, we have to protect. I mean, where are these millions of Israelis, so-called uh, peace and democracy-loving Israelis, where have they been for 75 years? Where where have they been? Where I mean, they don't even know what's happening in their backyard, or they don't care. 
and they're not saying anything about it. And nor is the mainstream media. They, they talk about these heroic uh, protesters protesting in Tel Aviv while Palestinian villages are being burned, literally burned right now by these colonial settlers. It's really a grotesque. Uh, well, the, the type of demonstrations they're having, at least maybe for not all of them, but the vast majority, is to protect their rights uh, as uh, Jewish Israelis, but not the rights of Palestinians. Precisely, precisely, and that's why you know this is this is a really dark time. I mean, for Palestine. I mean, well, listen, uh, listen. Uh, the late one of the latest incidents, because we're talking about the, these attacks. You know, the killing of a nineteen-year-old uh, Kusai Jamal Matan. That's right. Uh, so the shooting of Kusai uh, Jamal Matan, uh, you know, it involves two of the settlers, Jess, one by the last name Indoor, who is believed to be the person who shot who shot the 19-year-old, and then his accomplice, uh, Yered, uh, who interfered in the investigation. Both of them went there carrying M16, and, and, and then at the end of the day, this young man gets shot. Now they're in custody under investigation. We don't know what the Israeli authorities, but based uh, are going to do. But based on their prior history with the uh, with the uh, killing of a the autistic young man, uh, they nothing let, will happen. Nothing, nothing happened. They basically no. exonerated the uh, the uh, policeman or the uh, border patrol who killed him. And I think it's it's going to be the same thing. And this uh, scenario is going to repeat itself over and over again. Well, I think that's exactly right, Jamal. It's just going to repeat itself. And we basically see that the U.S. government, in the midst of the so-called visa waiver program for for Israeli settlers, for Israelis with, you know, uh, are, is moving forward, you know, and it looks like it's going to happen. We don't know the final result yet, but it looks like it's going to happen. That the this, this gruesome uh, breach of, uh, you know, um, I don't know what to call it, but wanton disregard for human Palestinian life, that illegal colonial settlers can go and wantonly kill Palestinian men, women, and children without any accountability, without any any sense of justice or accountability. I, I mean, there hasn't been a single case where an Israeli who has killed a Palestinian has been held accountable. It just doesn't happen. Maybe they get arrested, Maybe they're held for a few days, but eventually they're let go. Nothing ever happens. And you have Ben Gavir and Smotrich who are fanning the flames. And, you know, basically, Jamal, it's kind of crazy to, to hear them say that. They go to the Haram Sharif. They'll go to the Al-Aqsa Mosque. They'll walk. They'll provoke Palestinians. They, they will uproot Palestinian orchards. They will burn fields. They will kill Palestinians, and nothing, nothing will get done. So, Jamal, we're faced with another kind of, you know, crazy world here, where Israel will continue to get get away with murder. It doesn't matter that it's not a democratic state. It doesn't matter that it's an apartheid state. It, Jamal, it doesn't even matter that Joe Biden doesn't like Benjamin Netanyahu, right? Because this. This thing transcends all of that. So this is a really dark time in Palestine. Well, I mean, look at the, again, at the record, no justice was brought to Shirin Abu Akleh, the Palestinian-American journalist who was killed. Still, still. 
and and they just bury their heads uh, or or uh, you know look the other way. Uh, there was one exception this time that the uh, the American embassy there uh, condemned the killing uh, of uh, the so nineteen what? year old Palestinian. But, but so, that's about so it. But it's it's meaningless words, Jamal. It's meaningless words because they continue to get three and a half, four billion dollars a year. They're going to get the visa waiver program. They're building illegal colonial settlements. They're killing Palestinians, and nothing gets done. So a condemnation from the State Department is actually meaningless. It's actually worse because it's just it's just words that don't mean anything. Well, one quick last story. Just there is a movie about Golda Meir. Uh, Talk about know, rewriting history. Talk rewriting about history, rewri- and then the and then I see all these celebratory uh, tweets and postings about her. Uh, how great of a woman she was, the first uh, Israeli woman to lead the country, and so forth. And people don't know the history. I mean, this is so ludicrous to describe her in, in such fashion, kind of like the, the, the nice grandmother of Israel, the peace-loving woman. She was a thug, Jamal. She, she was a thug. Well, she was number one to begin with. She was a colonial settler, and people don't talk That's about right. that. You know, right. she's, she's, she was born Golda Mabovich, from in Kiev, Ukraine. As we talk, this is kind of like crazy. We keep getting all these people from Ukraine descending on Palestine and dictating what's going to happen there. But she was born in Kiev, Ukraine. Her family left. They came to to the United States, uh, uh, to to Milwaukee, basically, to Wisconsin. Uh, And uh, then she immigrated to Palestine, held the Palestinian passport, that's right. And then and then and then later later on she said that Palestinians don't exist and the word Palestine didn't exist. You could look at her immigration papers. She has her immigration paper coming to Palestine holding a Palestinian passport and she has a lot of things you know to talk about. We don't have the time about her ugly history, but I'm going to connect it to what's going on today when you see the settler attacks on the town of Aqraba and 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 and, and Hawara and all these places that are in the same vicinity. But in the early 1970s, Golda Meir's government poisoned poisoned the lands of Aqraba in the West Bank to force the Palestinian villagers to clear the way to make an illegal settlement. She poisoned the water there. This is not our invention, Jess. This is from the Israeli media itself and from, from, from documentation and archives in the government. Well... This is the this is the classic uh, rewriting of history yet again, but I anticipate that a lot of uh, people will confront this uh, revisionist history, Jamal, because she she was responsible for killing a lot of Palestinians, for the theft of a lot of Palestinian land. She has a lot she has a lot of blood on her hands still, and we're not going to stop to tell the truth about who. Golda Meir was, irrespective of whatever documentary they make of her. So, yeah, uh, not a time to celebrate uh, Golda Meir's thuggery in Palestine, but uh, I'm sure we'll hear more about it. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest shows, and we will talk to you next week. See you next week. Thank you.